Tonight our reading is from 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter. If you have a church Bible, it's page 1189. It doesn't say so, but it's the one that follows 188. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Questions. And the first one is this. How healthy is our church? It would be easier, it would be more effective, I think, to say, how healthy am I and you as part of this church? The church is people and people is the church. However, in this collective sense, it's a good question to ask. What's the test? And uh, at a certain point in the course of this sermon, we're going to have what I call time out, and I want to put two questions to you. So I sort of warn you in advance, all right? So here it is, 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Here is the church, and when Paul, or indeed one of the reasons for him writing, is that they are bewildered, They are confused. They have come to faith for sure, but now things are happening to them that they can't square with their faith. They are passing through a time of great trouble. 
Now, if the Christian has love that is unique to belonging to Jesus, the Christian also has trouble that is unique to belonging to Jesus. And you can't have the one without the other. Well, they're having a time of persecution. And some are confused about this big issue, which we had in our second hymn, about the day of the Lord. Turn, for instance, to chapter 2. Uh, and verses 1 and 2, just to see, to, uh, to put it in context, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, generic term, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Have we missed the boat? Has he come and we are left behind? Now, let me put one thing to you, that whatever your church background. Let's suppose somebody say, will say to you, as someone has said to me, and I've been very grateful, I have, I have a vision. I have a word from the Lord. I have a prophecy. Now, how do you respond to that? I hope you don't say, well, I don't believe that. It's not very helpful. Do you take the prophecy to Scripture, or do you take Scripture to the prophecy? Well, they had this prophecy And I suspect at that time they didn't have a lot of scripture to take it to. This is one of the benefits of of being instructed on a regular basis as Christian people. So they are bewildered and they're confused. That's the context. So 2 Thessalonians has at least a two-fold, a two-pronged approach as far as Paul is concerned. The first and the big thing here is this. He wants to explain by the Spirit God's program of the future events and the coming of the Lord. That's the first thing. And that dominates the book, largely. But you can have facts and still be discouraged. So the second thing that he wants to do is to encourage them. So there you have it, this twofold approach to explain God's program, to encourage God's people. And I suspect that in every church service, I would hope that those two things always happen to us. I'm I'm a bit more informed and I'm a bit more encouraged. Challenged to go on for another week, to go on to serve the the Lord Jesus. So the question then is posed uh, in terms of how healthy is our church? How would you test that? Maturity or health in a body of believers is not constant. Equally the same in our physical body. Here you are, you're living your life, when suddenly you're diagnosed with something. And, and often in, in, in church life, say, that, that, that's a healthy church, and then you hear of some sort of split or division or problem, and you say, what was all that about? It might come gradually, unexpectedly, or it might come suddenly. So some churches can and do regress. They might have a reputation of being a certain type of church. And then you find out that the very thing that they were strong on, they are now weak on. I've always believed, and I think there's so much in terms of Paul and Peter's letters, these, the, what we call the epistles to letters to the churches, where at the very least there's this three-pronged approach. I can't think of any better way of assessing our health, and that is faith, hope, and love. 
But let me illustrate this in, in Scripture, first of all. The church at Ephesus, if you read the Ephesian church, it's a strong church. It's a doctrinally informed church. It's a church that believes in spiritual warfare, of putting the full armor of God. It is a church that believes in, in expressing the love of Jesus. I'd like to belong to a church like that. And yet, some sort of 30 years later, when Jesus speaks to the church, the Ephesian church, he says, but you have lost your first love. It's got the reputation, but something has begun to eat away at its strength, and its strength becomes its weakness. So, the Lord says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember the degree to which you have regressed. Repent and do the things that you did at first. You see, it's a classic example, and there are many others. So when we come now then to 2 Thessalonians, and I, I want you just to, to think about this and stay with me, these Christians graphically illustrate this fact, this phenomenon. When Paul first wrote to them, and just turn back one page, right? When, when he first wrote to them, and you, you will know that from if you, the, the background, the, the birth of this church was during a time of great severe persecution. We have the time to look at it now in Acts 17. That he writes to them. And what does he, what does he write to them about? How does he, what does he give thanks to God when he thinks about them as a church? Well, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2. We always thank God for all of your mentioning in your prayers. We, we pray for you. Why? We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. That's the first thing. Your love, your, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Okay? There it is. You've got it. Now, turn back to the reading that Alice gave to us and 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's people, and so on. Now, there is an ominous absence of hope. And the whole point of him writing is to re-establish the hope that they've drifted from. And we define hope not as human optimism, but as this strong doctrinal security. I know what I believe, and I know where I'm going. They didn't. They were adrift with these prophetic words of, of prophets who came, who were not accountable to the church. I think that, that context is very important because it gives the key now to what we're thinking about uh, of, of um, this letter. You see how Paul had said nothing about their hope because it was ominously absent. And we can be like that. Like the Ephesian church, our strength in the course of time can actually be our weakness. And all that we do is talk and nothing else. So this second letter is to these believers who are confused that they might be, have their faith clarified and strengthened. That is so important. Right then, let's get into uh, the book itself. You see, um, yes, an outline will, will be good. Uh, number one, 
Suffering, and the word comes up in, in the course of the reading, suffering helps us to grow. No one wants suffering. And yet somehow in the providence of God, he can use that. It helps us to grow. Secondly, suffering prepares us for heaven. We are so earthbound. Tomorrow morning I'm meeting standard life man to talk about the pension. Well, it's not wrong. We don't want to be hypocritical about this. But there is a greater hope and a greater glory, and often legitimate those these things are, we lose sight of the, the bigger picture. Suffering prepares us for heaven. And the last thing that we have then is that suffering glorifies Christ today. It points to the fact that here are a redeemed people who are being shaped and molded for something far greater. So, very quickly, suffering helps us to grow. See that in verses 3 to 5. You see verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith. And in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. They were having a tough time. You have it also there in, in, in verse 5. Is it true that so often our trials, they don't necessarily being be locked in prison or, or, or physical persecution, they may be psychological, and they may come to us in all shapes and at all times. But so often our trials can, at the very least, remind us of our true values. And we can lose sight of them very quickly. Ours is such a very cynical world where to talk like this at work uh, or in sometimes from some of us, even in our family, becomes uh, a challenge. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7 just to see this. We're illustrating that trials can remind us of our true values. This is page 1217. In the church Bibles. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Just these verses. Talks about the inheritance that cannot spoil or fade and so on. And then he says in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. This, this faith and love and hope. You greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while. You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold or pensions or any other thing which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and re may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. In other words, these churches, when they were going through difficult times, he wanted to try to help them to see that there is a bigger picture which we can lose sight of very quickly. Tertullian, the great um, uh, author and, and, and leader within uh, the, the church, uh, during a time when the third century was going through a great period of, of, of suffering, said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Maybe it's harder in our comfort to stay so focused. And therefore, trials remind us. They remind us. But in what way are we challenged to grow? Perhaps particularly, and what a word for our society, and I wonder if it can, and, and do take this on board, that, and just one thing then, to grow in our perseverance. Ours is a quick fix society. If it isn't, move on. Don't worry about it. 
And yet, somehow the Lord wants to build things into us to say, no, you hang in with me and I'll stay with you. Let's do it together. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's follow him. Let's stay with him. That, that, that seemed to me the one thing then that can come out of this, that our trials say, I'm going to grow in perseverance. I'm going to press on. I'm not going to give up. And God has a bigger picture. You see in verse 5, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering now. God can and does not cause. We live in, a, in an imperfect world, a fallen world as we understand it. But he can use suffering to mature us. To shape us. To bless us and to make us strong and grow in perseverance. One of the things that, 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 that comes out of people's relationships as we work at it together so we become more mature. Secondly, suffering prepares us for heaven. We want to go to heaven, but not yet. There's so much to do. So verses 6 to 10, you see, at, at the very least it ought to help us to see our suffering in a different light. To see it in a different perspective. Is it a burden or a blessing? When, when, when the Apostle Paul, for a long time, struggled with ill health and was in prison when he had so much to do, what's that about? And yet God was building his church. And we might have difficulties and things that hinder. We can't understand why God should allow that. And perhaps, may I say, this side of glory, we won't know. Are, are our sufferings an opportunity or an obstacle? Are they going to hold us back? Or are they going to spur us on? Depends on your perspective. Whatever, our present suffering prepares us for future glory. Turn again to Peter this time, chapter 4, just to see the frequency of this. It's the great theme that Peter writes about. It's a bit, I think, the, the, the church... Under Nero is a bit like the church in Zimbabwe today. Amazing, amazing people who are going through the cauldron of suffering in that country. Humbling in the extreme. And, and they were under Nero, a madman who was blaming the church for everything. And Peter's writing to them. And uh, 1 Peter 4 and verse 12. There you are. Dear friends. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Do you see that? As though something strange were happening to you. I mean, have we any right to complain, really? But well, we do, we know, we're good at it. We've had a lot of experience, haven't we? But bring it, bring it here. Just, just bring it here. You see, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you, that you participate in the suffering of Christ. So extend your suffering say, Jesus is with me here. And he can redeem this so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, let's hope that it is for his name, not for being unwise. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, 
It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. However, if you suffer, you see this theme, as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name and so on. When you come back to 1 Thessalonians 2, you, you, and it, this isn't just a statement you know, that people like to make. It, it, is, it, is, it is a conviction that you live out day in, day in, day out, and it's this, that God is sovereign, and there is nothing that happens by accident. That's a very powerful thing, and that is where your hope is shaped and strengthened and clarified. And so you see that in, in verse uh, 6, for example, and seven, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Meanwhile, we trust him. He is sovereign. He is just. He is the judge of all. And the day of the Lord will come whatever the cynics say. And then in verse 8, here Paul gives clear instruction. Do you see, this is the issue. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which implicit there seems to imply. They have, you may say, okay, what about those who have never heard? All right, but what about those who have heard and are doing nothing? That's the point. This unique Redemptive suffering reminds us that we are pilgrims. We are a pilgrim people. We're on a journey and we have a destiny. I think one of the benefits of, of, of being here and listening like this as, as we do is that this instruction helps us and shapes us and, and, and encourages us. Let me put it in a, in a, in a wider context. Um, one of the marks of a healthy, growing church is consistent, faithful instruction from God's Word. And what does that do to us? Well, first, it should give um, substance to our faith. We have a reason for the hope that is within us, and we can share that with humility and confidence. But secondly, it stabilizes us in times of testing because they are going to come. And don't be surprised. Be prepared. God is good. And he is sovereign in his goodness. And he is consistent in his justice. But then a third benefit is this. And when you think now of 2 Thessalonians 2 and 2, when people came with the prophetic word, well, okay, that's good. But how are you going to weigh it up? And there are people who have got into all sorts of difficulty and trouble morally and spiritually in their church life by, by words that are not born of the Holy Spirit. So one of the benefits, it helps us to handle the Bible correctly so that we can nourish ourselves and build ourselves up. But may I just say this one other thing as well. There is a danger with that. That is a real blessing. And what is the danger? The danger is this. What is the primary purpose of us? Here we are tonight, we're listening to a sermon. What, what is the primary purpose of that? 
Well, surely we'd want to say that this is for the glory of God, so that we might honor him. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. In some situations, knowledge is power. But knowledge can be dangerous. Even biblical knowledge, in this sense, when our instruction remains theoretical, that our Christian life is just theory. Do you know in the course of time, it breeds indifference. It breeds indifference. And you can get among Christian people sometimes a culture of quarreling. When instruction remains theoretical, it breeds indifference. And when it isn't balanced by love and grace, it can breed intolerance. And we are quite intolerant of people who don't think the way that we think. Don't sing the way that we sing. Don't read the translation we have. And so much of that grieves the spirit. Do you see the point? There are great blessings. There are dangers. And when it becomes an end in itself, it can breed idolatry. The very thing that we speak against, we have a blind spot and our strength becomes a weakness. So it's all very well me saying, yeah, the church then, but what about the church now? And that is why Paul is writing to these bewildered believers whom he loves very much to help them. So, uh, let me ask you to have a bit of time out. Just have a pause for a moment, okay? And I want to put, there you are, two questions that come before you. First, I thank God for my church because, and you fill in the gap, right? In your mind, think. I thank God for my church because uh, that's you're meant to have a positive answer to that. <laughs> the second one, you're allowed to be negative, okay? I believe my church could become healthier if there is always room for improvement, isn't there? Any relationship, any church worthy of that name, surely, if we think we've arrived. Again, we, we are uh, in failure. So, um, do you want to just sort of turn around? and Just two minutes, I promise you. Okay? I thank God for my church because, see if you can share that with somebody, and then move on a minute and a half each. Okay? Right. Thank you. And I've got the radio mic here. Is this on? Yeah. Any answers? Shouldn't ask you at the front. That way, just sit at the back. Should we start at the back? Yeah. Is Gary? Gary's got his hand up. 
he, he just said, he said, he said, I'm not going to say the answer now, Jeff's got a mic. I, got a mic. I know, it's the best way to silent people. Right. Yeah, Nigel, I'm, you're up for this. I know, he doesn't like it. It's good for him. The things you don't like are good for you. Okay, that's the time out. You have had your opportunity. Does somebody want to put their hand up for the first uh, question? I thank God for my church because. Michael, can you shout out? Ah, uh, <laughs> Hey, how do you follow that? He, he's, he's charming, isn't he? Right, come on. Um, any, anything? See? <laughs> right. Um, the girls here were very keen to talk to me, so... Um, <laughs> you, I did start at the back. I did start, yeah, we did start at the back, Michael, come on. Hannah, why would you thank God for your church? Um, because? Because of the people support that you get, like the accountability. Yeah, that's good, the people and accountability, that is, that is good. Any other, anything else, is a positive, what would you thank God for your church? Oh, yeah, Kathy, okay. We'll have to go back to the sermons, you haven't got long, all right, so it's not like... I thank God for the, the people beca- and the practical help that they give in difficult times. <laughs> right. Well, that is true, and a lot of that is unseen. We often don't, don't appreciate that. Yeah. Anything else? Just any, one more? No? Oh, Mr. Tobes. Right. Hope you've got the gift of brevity like me. <laughs> I'm a reactor. I need other people to stimulate me. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, there you go. Right. Okay. The second one, I believe my church could become healthier if... Now you're allowed to be negative. Okay. I'll pick somebody like Rob, if you're not careful. So, you're a new boy here. Any, anybody got a suggestion? Yes. Alice. If I prayed for it more faithfully. Well, see, isn't she good? That, yeah, that's, that's good. We can live with that, can't we? Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. Well, it should make us think. Is it, anybody else want to come up with anything? No? Oh, Paddy. Um, I think our church could be healthier if we kind of trusted each other um, more. And also, when we disagree, we do it in a loving way. Right. Are you talking from experience? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, there you are. There's obviously room for improvement. Praying together, being open and genuine is, is helpful. Okay, let's go back to the sermon then. The last point, and it's this. If suffering helps us to grow spiritually, we're the better for it, though it's, it's, it's been a difficult time. That suffering prepares us for heaven... And now suffering glorifies Christ today. So it's not all in the future. It, it, it's, it's here and now. So in these last verses, with this in mind, verse 11, we constantly pray for you. That's, that's, our, that's the point with Alice, isn't it? Um, that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Present tense. Don't put off spiritual commitment for the future. I'll put it on the back burner. You in him. He in you. According to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering glorifies Christ today. 
And what Paul does here, he prays for the believers in, in this sort of consistent way. Most of my praying is a stop-start one. And, and in his praying, because the, the, these verses are really conveying essentials um, and priorities of prayer. So let's look at them very quickly. First of all, he prays that they may be worthy of God's calling. I, I, I'm a believer. I've embraced Jesus Christ. Trials may not make character, but trials reveal character. You may well say trials don't make you, but they certainly convey you and me under trials, the real person. And God is shaping us. Trials show what I'm made of. Secondly, not only worthy of God's calling, but, but the walk of faith. The New Testament uses this, walk worthily of the Lord. In other words, living it out, the walk of faith. The life of action to, to, to be lived out in everyday life. Turning, if you like, intention into action. I intend to do it. The cynics say, don't you? Or the realists, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We just don't seem to get around to it. Turning intention into action in given situations. Walking worthy. And finally, the witness to the glory of Christ. And this you have here. We pray this, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. Witness to the glory of Christ. Jesus, be glorified in me this week. In my work, in my home, in my classroom, wherever I live, move and have my being, if you like. Be glorified in me this week. For example, this precious name, the name of Jesus, glorified. How are you going to feel then when someone uses it as a blasphemy? An unbeliever may use it to curse. The believer uses it to bless. So different. I note something very wonderful in verse 12. The believer who glorifies Christ is also glorified. Did you notice that? That, that yeah, I, I give you the glory and it seems if he says, and I'll share it with you. Wesley was right, wasn't he? Change from glory into glory. And there's this sort of sharing of, of the glory of Christ. We, we love him, we, we glorify him, and he, he seems to share it with us. That's what he's saying. So I see verse 12. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him. You in him. According to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all of grace. All of grace. And he wants to get them to think clearly. To live godly. And to prepare for glory. And perhaps, and actually C.S. Lewis was right when he said, those who think most about heaven do most on earth. 
And those who think least of heaven do least on earth. We tend to think that, you know, and I know it's an old phrase, so heavenly minded, no earthly use. That is a caricature. It's not true. Would that we were more heavenly minded, more focused, more, more together, fixing our eyes on Jesus, sharing his joy in our suffering as he was. That's the point. So that it should make us sing and believe, come, come, come Lord Jesus.